exciting morning to be here this morning. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to um, pray with and for some of our local law enforcement. So if you're here and you're parked in the fire lane, I want to encourage you, it might be good to move it um, before our next service when all the officers show up. Um, we, we are excited this morning. We're finishing our series on taking the Great Commandment seriously called Love Where You Live, or The Art of Neighboring is the book that it's based on. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, that this isn't just a series that we're doing here at River Rock. It's actually a series that's taking place all across the greater Austin area. In fact, it spans five counties, all the way from Georgetown down to San Marcos. There's over 400 churches that are coming together, and either uh, at the same time we are, or in the next couple of weeks, they'll be going through this series called The Art of Neighboring, and it's all about taking the great commandments seriously and literally. When Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all you have and to love your neighbor as yourself, what if we took that literally, and we loved our literal neighbors, the people that are closest to us. And what if we began doing that? What would that change in our community, and what would that change in us? And a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember, we pulled out the block map, and we took a little quiz, a little block map quiz. Remember, I like to call it the chart of shame. And uh, if you look inside your bulletin, you'll see that there is another block map in there. And I want to encourage you at this time, go ahead and pull that out. And we're just going to see if you've made any progress over the next couple months. Nobody's going to grade these. Nobody's going to take these out. This is just for you to challenge yourself. Have I stepped out and gotten to know the people around me? So in the next few minutes, I just want you to take some time and write the names of your eight closest neighbors. See if you can get the eight houses close to you. Can you name your eight closest neighbors. Not the guy down the street that your kids are on a baseball team, but your eight closest neighbors. Do you know their names? Can you write them down? Because if we're going to take the great commandment seriously and literally, and we're really going to love our neighbors, I think a great place to start is by learning their names, right? If you're going to love someone, it helps if you know their names. So take the next few minutes, see how you do. All right, how did you do? How did you do? Anybody get all eight? Can anybody honestly say, man, I got all eight. I know my eight closest neighbors, a couple of you. That's awesome. How many of you can say, I at least got more than I did two weeks ago? Anybody? That's awesome. Look at the number of hands that are going up. That's great. That's an amazing step. That is a big deal that you took that step to get out, to know your neighbors, and to learn their name because now they've gone from a stranger to an acquaintance right? And now we know their names. Now we can, we can say, hey, Mike, instead of, hey, man, how's it going? And to be honest, some of you are thinking, well, this is pretty simple. I mean, it was real easy to walk across the street and introduce myself. Uh, and we've set the bar really low for a reason. And that is so that even pastors can do it. Um, no, they, we set the bar really low because we believe if we can just get you to take this one small step and learn the names of the people who live around you, that you will never want to go back, that it will change your life just knowing the people who live around you, and you will never want to go back. Last week, we said that there are a couple barriers that keep us from from really taking that next step, which is moving from, from stranger to acquaintance, but acquaintance to relationship. And we said that one of the big barriers that we face there is time, right? So it doesn't just happen that we begin a relationship with our neighbors. Now we know their name, right? So we've gone from stranger to acquaintance, but how do we get from acquaintance 
to relationship? Well, that's going to take some time. And we're going to talk a little bit more this morning about the second barrier, which is the fear factor, right? There's a little bit of fear when it comes to going out and getting to know your neighbors. Sometimes there's, there's a great fear of the unknown. Other times, you're afraid because of what you do know about your neighbors, right? And uh, there's a, a great, uh, anybody watch Jimmy Fallon? Anybody like Jimmy Fallon late night? I used to not stay up late, and then we had kids, and that all changed. Um, so we watch Jimmy Fallon every once in a while, and he does this thing called hashtags, where people can write in stories on Twitter about weird things that happened to him or things like that. Well, he did a hashtag once called My Weird Neighbor, so I thought we would check that out. So now I thought I'd share, I'd share some of my favorite My Weird Neighbor tweets from you guys. Here we go. This first one's from at Alexa Lee. She says, I sing in my apartment all the time, and occasionally I hear my neighbors singing along with me. Yeah, that's <laughs> a little bit too close, yeah. Two-part harmony. Um, this one's from at Big Joe on the go. He says... My neighbor used to steal my paper, read it, then knock on my door to distract me while his wife put the paper back. (laughs) Save 50 cents. This one's from at Vanilla Thunder 98. Wait, who's that again? Vanilla Thunder. Thunder. 99? 97? Oh, 98. Okay. Vintage. He says, the name of my neighbor's Wi-Fi network is Ice Cream Butt Cheeks. Uh, Yeah, won't be stealing that Wi-Fi. Ice Cream Butt Cheeks. This one's from At Rhymes with Meg. She says, I had a neighbor who had a garage sale for three months straight because, quote, business was good. (laughs) Still buying my garbage. Yeah, man. This one's from At Luis Mendoza, 14. He says, my neighbor uh, has a Santa figure that they leave up all year. On Halloween, they duct tape two gourds to its hands. (laughs) Ho, ho, boo. Boo. I'm Santa Claus. (laughs) Yeah, this last one here's from At Desiree Stin. She says... If we threw our frisbee or ball over the fence by accident, we would get it back with a note attached saying, I hate kids. <laughs> there you have it. Those are Tonight Show hashtags. To check out more of our favorites, go to tonightshow.com slash hashtag. So we all have that weird neighbor, right, that maybe makes us a little bit anxious, a little bit fearful about going outside and getting to know them. And if you don't have the weird neighbor, guess what? That means that you're the weird neighbor. And I started thinking about it this week, and I realized that on my street, I am the weird neighbor, because I I love all the people around us. I can't think of anybody that's weird. Uh, and, And so we've got to get over this little bit of fear so that we can move from acquaintance. We now know their names. We're going to move from acquaintance to relationship. And there is no special refrigerator magnet tool like the block map that we can use to get us there. It's going to take time. And it's going to take us getting over our fears. But there's one way, uh, one thing that you can do that I think pretty easily bridges that gap. It's the start of moving from acquaintance to relationship. And that's simply to throw a block party. To throw a block party. And uh, the perfect opportunity is coming up on October 6th, the National Night Out. And you can uh, sponsor a block party. You can host a block block party. It's a great excuse to go to your neighbors and say, hey, it's National Night Out. I don't know if you've heard about it. Why don't we get together and cook some hot dogs and just hang out in my front yard and get to know one another? And from there, you can move into, hey, you know what? We had a great time the other night. Would you guys like to come over from dinner? And you're slowly you're taking those steps to move from stranger to acquaintance and acquaintance into relationship. And what I love about this idea with block parties is that when you look at the ministry of Jesus... So often you find Jesus 
at a party, right? He goes to weddings. He's invited to weddings. He's invited to parties at Levi's house. And in fact, this morning, the story that we're going to look at is a story of Jesus at a party. He's once again at a party. And I I really think if we're going to take the great commandments seriously and literally, we have to ask ourselves, when is the last time we made religious people uncomfortable because of the people we hang out with? I mean, think about Jesus' ministry. Think about Jesus' ministry and how often he made the religious people uncomfortable because of the people that he was spending time with. He was spending time with the tax collectors and sinners. And so I think that's a great question for us to ask because if we're going to take the great commandment seriously, we must be with those that God has placed around us. If we're going to take the great commandment seriously and literally and love our neighbor, we must be with those that God has placed around us. When you look at Jesus' ministry, one of the main problems that the religious leaders of that day had with Jesus was the people that he hung around with. They were worried about Jesus' walk with God because he hung around with some sketchy people. But we find Jesus spending time with these people. And if I'm honest, I would say that Christians ought to be a part of the best parties in this city. We ought to either be a part of or throw the best parties in this city. We shouldn't be looking out our front window like a little Gladys Kravitz, you know, looking down the street like, hey, um, they're partying a little too hard out there. I don't think I'm going to go. Right? We should be over there. We should be in the mix. Doesn't mean we have to do everything they're doing. We still have to use discernment. But we should at least be there because that's what we see in Jesus' ministry is that he is around these people that are on the fringes. They're on the outside. They're considered sinners. They're considered to be undesirables by the religious leaders of the day, by the religious people. They don't want to have anything to do with them. Yet Jesus is there spending time with them. And as Christians, I feel like we must be in the mix. We must be in the mix. We've got to be there. We've got to be present with them. It's, it's interesting to me how, how often uh, we're afraid of what other people might think, and that keeps us from engaging with someone who the only person that they know that knows Jesus is you, and you're not spending any time with them. We've got to get in there and mix it up. The goal of spiritual maturity, if we boil it all down to one thing, we'd say that the goal of spiritual maturity is to be like Christ, to be like Jesus, to become more like him. And if we're really going to be like him, then we should probably do some of the things that he did, like spend time with people that may make other people uncomfortable. That's exactly what we're going to see this morning in Luke chapter 7. Jesus has been invited to one of the religious leaders' houses for a party. Simon is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is kind of like a pastor today. They're the religious leader that everybody kind of looks to uh, for guidance and to help explain the scriptures. And so he's been invited to this party, and this is the story that we read in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. A woman in the town who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house. She brought a jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wash his feet with tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. 
So we see in this story that Jesus has been invited to a banquet. He's invited to a party. And the thing to know about parties in those days is that they were pretty public events. Even if it was a private party, most of the time they would host these parties in the courtyard of their house to where everyone could see. And it wasn't a weird or unacceptable thing for an uninvited guest to just kind of walk in and join the party. That was kind of the point of having it in a public place. And uh, it it was also part of their custom that those who were poor and needy could come at the end of the banquet and eat the food. And nobody thought anything of it. They were there. They were part of the party. And so it's, it's easy to see how this woman could come in that, and nobody would really notice or pay attention to her. And what we read about her is that it says that she was a sinner. She was a sinner. Now, when you read in Scripture that this woman was a sinner... That's kind of code for she's a prostitute. She's a prostitute. She doesn't have uh, the best job in the world. No one in that society is looking up to her. No one in that society is treating her like she's worth anything at all. Yet she comes to Jesus and she is so overwhelmed by her love for Jesus that she can't contain herself. At some point she heard Jesus teaching And it touched something inside of her, and her heart was broken because of the sin in her life. And she recognized that he had the message of forgiveness of sins because he was the Son of God. And she says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever it takes to show my appreciation for what Jesus has done. Now, when Jesus arrived at Simon's house, it was customary for for the guest to be offered some water to wash his feet. But we, we're going to read in just a little bit that Simon didn't offer him any water, yet here is this woman, and she is washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. To wash someone's feet was a sign of respect. But she takes it a step further, and she begins kissing his feet. This is, this is a demonstration of her complete adoration and abandonment of herself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next thing she does is she takes this very expensive alabaster jar. These were one-time use jars. The only way to get it open was to actually break the top off. There was no screwing it back on or putting a cork back in it. You actually had to break the entire jar. And what we know about this fragrant oil was that it was very expensive. And because of her profession, we can probably assume that this was the most expensive thing that she had. And she brings it. And she anoints Jesus with it. She pours it out all over Jesus. Meanwhile, Simon is watching on. Simon is looking, yet he doesn't see what's happening. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse, verse 39. It says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. The only thing that Simon can see is this woman's sin. He can't see anything else. He can't see anything else. And he says, look, if Jesus, I mean, he claims to be the son of God, but if he were even just a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And he says it because Jesus does not show that he's uncomfortable in any way. Jesus is not put off. He's not ashamed. He's not surprised. He's not like, oh, you know what, we'll, we'll hang out on the side, but I don't want other people to see me with you. No, Jesus embraces this woman who's coming before him. He embraces her. 
And the next thing that he says, if I'm Simon, I'm a little bit freaked out at this point because Simon is thinking to himself, and Jesus is going to reply to what Simon is thinking. So if I'm Simon, I'm a little bit freaked out at this point because Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? So if we're going to put this into modern terms, this would be like someone who's racked up maybe a little bit of credit card debt, maybe $1,000 here, and he's having a hard time paying it. He's falling behind on his cell phone bill, and he's struggling to make that payment. Uh, And so this is the first guy, the 50 denarii. Denarii is about a day's wage at that time. So this man is a little bit behind on his credit card bills. And then there's another man whose house is getting ready to go into foreclosure. He's bankrupt. He's got student loans. He's got a house loan. He's got a business loan. He's got a personal loan. He's maxed out five credit cards. And there is no money to be had. And the bank is getting ready to take his house. So you have these two men with debt. And the owner of the bank comes to both of these men and says, your debts are forgiven. Whose life is changed more? Whose life has been changed more? And Simon answers. Simon gives the answer. He says, I suppose the one he forgave more. He, Simon can barely even bring himself to get this answer out because he knows where Jesus is going with this. Simon knows what Jesus is saying. He says, it's the one who is forgiven more. And then the very next verse, Jesus asks a question of Simon. And up to this point, the entire conversation has been between Jesus and Simon with this woman just there at Jesus' feet. And I love what happens next. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Simon, do you see this woman? He says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with common olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And the problem was that Simon did not see this woman. All Simon saw was someone who was a drain on society. Someone who did not matter to him. He did not want this woman to be a part of his life. And in his thinking, this woman didn't even matter to God. And Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And Simon can't see her. More importantly, Simon can't even see himself. All he sees is a sinner. And he can't even bring himself to recognize that I'm also a sinner. I've also been forgiven. A major debt that I could have never paid. He can't bring himself to see that. If we're going to be, if we're going to follow the great commandment and love our neighbors, we're going to have to be with the people that God has placed around us. We're going to have to see them. We're going to have to pay attention to opportunities 
that come along that God provides for us to see the people that he has placed around us. There's a common phrase that Christians often use, and it's one that I wish um, we would stop using. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Anybody heard that before? I hate that. Because all that does is it labels that person as a sinner, and it makes it seem like, well, I'm not a sinner, but they are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the sinner but hate the sin. No, when you do that, you put a label on that person. And you no longer see them for who they are. That they are someone who's been created in the image of God. And you no longer see them for who they could be transformed into by the power of God. All you see is that label. And that's all you see. And that was Simon's problem, is that all he could see was the label that he had put on this woman. He, he's forgotten to remove the plank from his own eye. And he's not able to say that I too am a sinner. I too have been forgiven a great debt. I think one of the things uh, that doesn't help the situation, the fear that we face, the, the, the things that we see is uh, 24-hour news channels. Right? There are lots of news channels, and if you spend any time watching these news channels, what you know is that they find the most awful examples of human depravity and how awful our society can be, and they run those stories 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until finally people are tired of it or another tragedy comes along and they latch onto that. And they just constantly run these stories that make you never want to go outside your front door. It makes you look at all women and think, I, I bet she's poisoning her husband so she can run away with her boyfriend. Or I bet he's trying to find a way to cut his wife's break and stage it as an accident so that he can run away with his secretary, right? And, and I bet that guy is going to end up in a kitchen with Chris Hansen. And so you just, you like start to label people and you're like, well, she's definitely one of, well, he's got to be a... Uh, And you put these labels on people and it keeps you from engaging them. It keeps you from seeing them as God has created them and for the potential that could happen if Christ were to enter their lives and to change it. We must not be afraid. We must overcome that fear. It's often scariest to love our neighbors, the people that are around us, because they're always there. It's easy to go to another country or to drive into inner city Austin and love people down there because you get to come back. But it's harder, I think, to love the people that are always there. Always there. Even at 4.30 in the morning. Um, A couple weeks ago, I woke up early on a Sunday morning, as I usually do, to read through my sermon notes, to be prepared so that when the kids wake up, I can help Amanda get here for the setup team. And so I was up around 4 o'clock. And about 4.30, I realized there was something in my truck that I needed. And uh, don't be embarrassed by this. I'm not. But I was just downstairs in my boxer shorts. And I was like, well, I just need to run out to my truck. So it's kind of chilly. So I'll put a shirt on and some slippers. And I'll just go outside. I don't have my glasses on. I don't have contacts in. And I get outside. And the very first thing, I'm like halfway down the walk. And I can see my neighbors standing out front. He's a police officer. So I'm like, oh, man, he... He's probably just getting home from work, getting off shift, and he's out there with some of our other neighbors. And I can't tell who they are. I'm just looking, and I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I go to my truck, and I'm praying that they don't see me. And uh, I go to my truck, 
and I get what I need, and I'm walking back towards the house, and I just happen to glance over, and, and my neighbor's over there. He's like, hey, come on over. And I was like, no, I'm going inside. And I walked inside, and I had to explain to him later what was going on. Your neighbors are always going to be there. Hashtag my weird neighbor, right? Comes outside in his boxer shorts at 4.30 in the morning. So they are always there. They are always there. Your neighbors know when you lose your temper and you yell at your kids. They also know when you cradle them in your arms when they're crying after they've fallen and scraped their knees. It's hardest to love the people that are close to you. Think about your family, right? Anybody struggle with loving their family at times? It's difficult. It's difficult, but here's the thing. It's not always going to be pretty, but it will be significant. If you will invest in relationship with your neighbors, it is not always going to be pretty. There are going to be messy times that come up in other people's lives, and there are going to be messy times that come up in your life as well. It won't always be pretty, but it will be significant. It will be significant. I think that loving your neighbors, investing in the people that God has placed right around you, is one of the absolute best spiritual formations and discipleship tools that there is. I honestly believe that. Because when you love somebody without strings, remember when we talk about loving our neighbor, it's not I'm going to love them so that they'll help me move a piano upstairs. I'm going to love them so that they'll walk my dog while I'm gone. I'm going to love them so that they'll come to church with me or I'm going to love them so that they'll put their faith in Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. We just love them. There's no strings attached. There's no and. There's no but. There's no so that. We just love them unconditionally. And sometimes that's messy. And sometimes it costs us, but it will be significant. Because it may change their lives. We may see neighbors who put their trust in Jesus Christ. We may see people whose lives are completely turned around because another group of people has come around them and loved them through a difficult situation. But more than that, It's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. And you're going to have a deeper appreciation for the unconditional love that God demonstrates to us through his son, Jesus Christ. You'll be able to embrace that a little bit deeper. You'll be able to live that out a little bit more. There's there's a number of things that can keep us from loving our literal neighbor. And so often we seek to define neighbor in the way that's easiest for us to actually live out that commandment. And so we we try to define neighbor as anybody who's in need. We already said in our first sermon on this passage that when everybody's your neighbor, then nobody's your neighbor. So we want to take it literally and seriously. We want to love those. We want to become like Jesus. We want to become like Jesus and love those that he's placed around us. And I'm not afraid to love someone that God has placed around me, even if it makes someone else uncomfortable. And there are going to be neighbors that you begin a relationship with, and you have them in your home for a meal, and someone else is going to say, I can't believe you would let that kind of person in your home. It's going to happen. And you know what? There are also going to be neighbors that you do your best to love them, and they just aren't interested. They just aren't interested, and you've got to be prepared for that. That may be another big fear that we face, is, is that fear of rejection. What if they don't want to be my friend? What if they just think that I'm the dorky pastor that lives down the street? 
that I'm the weirdo. We've got to be prepared for that. But God calls us to love them. And it begins by learning their name. We move from stranger to acquaintance, and acquaintance into relationship. We go from hey man to hey Mike, from hey Mike to hey Mike, come watch the game, to hey Mike, I noticed uh, your wife leaving the other day with a lot of her clothes. Is everything okay? Hey Mike, I'm praying for you. There's a big, big difference. We have to overcome our fear and make time to love our literal neighbors because that's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what Jesus calls us to do. My encouragement to you guys is over the next couple weeks, be thinking about how you might gather some of your neighbors to take that next step, to move from knowing their name to maybe throwing a block party. Don't forget, National Night Out, October 6th, is the perfect opportunity to gather your neighbors and to begin moving towards that relationship. It's not always going to be pretty, but it will be significant. Because if we're truly going to take the great commandment seriously and literally, we've got to love those that God has placed right around us. And we've got to be with them, no matter what it takes. As we close this morning, I I want you to just open your bulletin. You'll see there a little space that says take two. And take two is just a time for us to spend two minutes thinking about what God has said to me this morning. What is God saying to me right now? Maybe there is someone that God places on your heart and you say, you know what, I need to invite them over for dinner. Maybe there's someone that God has said, you know what, you don't know their name, I want you to go today and learn their name. Maybe God is telling you, you need to throw the best block party your neighborhood has ever seen and begin some relationship with the people who live right around you. Whatever God is saying to you right now, I encourage you to just take two minutes and reflect on what he's saying And then write down an action step. I will. I will do this because of what God is saying to me. Take two.